We've been talking about the Eightfold Noble Ways. Um, remember, meditation is in two parts or two perspectives. One is mental stabilization, or some people call it focus, some people call it uh, concentration. But if you translate um, the samatha into just concentration, it's not the right translation. You see, when, when, when the original Sanskrit or Pali are translated into English and Chinese, some of the meaning could be distorted a bit. And because of the distortion of meaning, sometimes you, you get lost in the true meaning of it. Uh, so, so, but meditation is in two parts. One is mental stabilization in the Pali language is samatha, in, in, in the Sanskrit language is samatha, and the other part is mental introspection. And some, some people translate this contemplation, uh, but the Sanskrit word is vipassana, same as the Pali word, vipassana. So it's mental stabilization and mental introspection. Mental stabilization is using the breath as the object of attention. You have counting the breath, following the breath, and finally you have, you may achieve stabilization of the mind. Now that is just on stabilize your mind or calm down your mind. We say the first step, the very simple basic step that you have to learn in meditation is first of all, learn how to calm your mind and relax the body. Calm your mind and relax the body. If you cannot even calm your mind or relax the body, you cannot further on to do any kind of meditation at all. And uh, it's exactly in not being able to calm the mind and relax the body, sometimes we, we run into emotional problems. So first of all, you need to calm down yourself. That's the reason why we're learning meditation. Samatha, mental stabilization. Arriving at uh, samadhi, we call it samadhi. The next one is introspection. Introspection, we need a, more time to talk about it because introspection concerns wisdom, not just the mental stabilization. You need, you need a lot of concepts, Buddhist concepts, to, to put into your meditation. You need wisdom. And what kind of wisdom we put in? What the Buddha told us. All the sutras, all the, everything, all the literature of 2,600 years ago, there was a historical Buddha, a true historical Buddha who spent 49 years to talk about what he discovered. It was put in writing and it was a tremendous amount, immeasurable amount. So, but, 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 but we don't need, to, we don't need to, to read all of it. It's impossible to read all of it. So we have to read some of them, the, base, the very important ones, and then using them, using these concepts to contemplate, to observe, to think. One has to think with concepts, right? Without concepts, how can you think? But you need to put the right concepts in your mind in order to think about it. So that's the reason why we are, we finished with 
Samatha, which is the stabilization part. Now we're in the introspective part, introspection part. And introspection, we have already in introduced a few concepts, and the, eight, the Noble Eightfold Ways is one of the few concepts that we introduce, which is very important. Uh, we just do a brief review. Right perspective, right orientation, right speech, right action, right lifestyle, right efforts, right introspection, and right mental equilibrium. And I have the Pali language in bracket and the Chinese language in bracket. I changed the Chinese translation. I think the Chinese translation, I think personally, sometimes is misleading. That's the reason why you can't get the right meaning. We already have cover up to number six, which is the right effort. Right effort is like um, something that would add on to the, to the experiment to make it more speedy or to make it more effective or to make it more, I don't know, easy to observe. So the right effort must be applied to the right pers perspective, right orientation, right speech, right action, right lifestyle, all, this, all the other seven ways need the right effort. The right effort. When the right effort, it means it comprises of four parts. The right effort pertains to, to the mind. Right effort includes prevention, elimination, cultivation, and maintenance. Yeah. Prevention is to prevent evil and unwholesome states of mind from arising. Elimination is, if he has arisen, you have to stop it. Stop evil and unwholesome state of minds. Stop if it's already arisen. So the first one is to prevent it. Preventative measure. Prevent, if I can give an example, uh, prevention is to prevent things from happening, to prevent emotions from happening, to prevent crimes from happening. So in a society, we can't just say eliminate, eliminate. We have to prevent. When a fire has already come out, you eliminate the fire. And that's the time when the rescue crew is already here. It could be too late. So we better prevent it from happening. That's the per first procedure. Prevent it from happening. And if it, it, if it has happened, then you have to eliminate it. But the best is to prevent it from happening. Preventative measure is always the safest measure. Prevent yourself from having bad health is better than being sick and get a doctor, right? So prevention, elimination. And we have talked about that already. So let's get on to the next one, which is cultivation and maintenance, which falls under, under this, the, the main title, right effort. So the right effort has to be prevention, elimination, cultivation, and maintenance. And we stop at cultivation. Cultivation is to produce, cause to arise, wholesome states of mind, not unwholesome. Your state of mind has always has to be wholesome. There's a difference between wholesome and unwholesome emotions, negative and positive emotions. A wholesome state of mind is positive emotions. You know, emotions have two categories, unwholesome emotion and wholesome emotions. Emo what is wholesome emotion? 
compassion, loving kindness, generosity, unselfishness, that is wholesome emotion. Unwholesome, selfishness, egoistic, cruelty, anger, violence, hatred, jealousy, greediness, depression, anxiety, fear, those are unwholesome. So we want to cultivate wholesome states of mind. This cultivation is cultivation of the mind, of the mental states of mind. Now it gets onto the meditative part of it. It's the mind that we need to change. The mind, there's a difference between actual actions already performed, actual words already spoken, and what is inside the mind. It's just a thought, right? And um, it concerns states of mind. What is in the mind is latent energy. A thought is energy. It's latent. It's potential energy. When it's already expressed, it's expressed energy. What is expressed energy from a thought? Your action, your speech, you express your speech, right? That's expressed energy. You express actions by punching, that's, that's an expressed energy. But an expressed energy always have a cause to it. That cause is latent energy, the thought in your mind. So whenever you want to change something, it may be too late when it's already expressed. You change at before it's being expressed, when it's potentially in your mind, when it's latent in your mind. It's the same as any kind of concept of energy, kinetic energy. Kinetic is motion, right? A moving motion. Kinetic is already expressed. The motion is already expressed. But the potential energy is not expressed yet. It's the thought in your mind. What we need to change, we better change the mind first. When that fist is punched out, it's already, it's already an injury to someone. If we want to cultivate states of mind, what we need to do is we have to understand how we think, right? Getting back to the, to the first lesson, I'm sure many people already know about it. How do we think? It's important that if we want to cultivate a wholesome state of mind, we need to know how we think first. How is a, a thought cultivated? How do we interact to external environments? So we need how our mentality works. Then we can change it. Then we can change our thought. We need to know how a thought comes up, right? So let's get up to our mental experience. In order to change our mind, we need how we, how we think. That's a mental experience. Let's start very quickly. I'm sure quite a few people already know, but it's just to give you a review. Quite many people already know about it because they've been here for quite a while and you know how we think. We know how a thought is created and know, know how that thought is carried into action. But let's just have a review of what's going on. We have external environments. We interact with externalities. What are externalities? Objects, sound, smell, taste and touch. That is like includes everything. 
if we want to say scientifically, was object. It's a combination of molecules, protons, neutrons, you name them. What is sound? It's a kind of frequency of waves, length. But we don't need to get into science. I'm not a scientist. I'm just, you know, trying to relate it to actual experiences so that we can understand it better. So we have all these five um, external environments in the main category, which, um, which includes almost everything. And then what do we do? We, as an individual, we have perception. Correspondingly, what do we do? Our eyes will see objects, our ears listen to sound, our nose smell, every, all these frequencies, our tongue taste, our body tactility, touch. What do we have? We have senses, right? We have senses, and senses are perception through the five sensory organs. We have senses. Because we have senses, we interact with externalities. When we interact with externalities, sometimes we express our energy. When we express our energy, it becomes an action. When an action is produced, what happens? When an action is produced, there is an equal and opposite amount of interaction that works towards it. Right? So that's what we learned in high school. That is Newton's third law of energy. Whenever anything is, whenever, whenever an action is performed, an equal amount of interaction will come out. That means if you are compassionate to others, then the compassion will flow back to you. If you're cruel to others, the cruelty will flow back to you. When? We don't know. It, 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 we don't know what time. It depends on the maturity of time. All right, perceptions, that's how we think. That's how our senses, our senses, sensory organs are always interacting with externalities, nonstop. Right? Any objection? No objection, right? What happens when you're sleeping? Your eyes are closed. You're not listening to external sound. You're not eating. You're not smelling. What happens when you are, do you ask, are all these senses stop? Sure. But it doesn't mean that all sensory organs stop. You still have a brain. You still have a brain. That brain is the sixth consciousness that's still active when you're sleeping. That's why in your sleep, when you're sleeping, you still have dreams. What do you do when you have dreams? In your dreams, you go back to the past, you take out some files and dream about it, and you may worry about the future, and all that, that's the, that's the sixth consciousness. But anyway, the first five sensory organs are the present moment, salesmen and sales ladies. And then, and then we have a cognition process, which is interpretation, rationalization of the perception. Because the perception itself cannot make a decision. Only the sixth consciousness will make a decision. All right? and, then you, and then your seventh consciousness, your ego, would personalize everything. This is mine. How come you entreated my properties? How come you do this? How come you do that? You personalize everything. And because of the personalization, emotions arouse. Because you personalize it. Uh, when you personalize, your self-esteem comes up. 
your self-obsession comes up. Your self, that self comes up. There's the seven consciousness, which is your ego consciousness. We call it the manas. The sixth consciousness, we call it the mano. And then there's also the storage consciousness, which is the alaya consciousness, that store everything that you have done, you have thought, you have acted. So whatever you have spoken, whatever you have acted, your behavior, and even whatever you have thought, what you have acted, what you have spoken, that's your express energy. You express energy. Whatever is in your mind, that is your latent energy. All this gets stored. Where? In your alaya consciousness. It won't get away. So be careful with your thought. Some people say, as long as I don't perform it, I'm okay. I always want to, to steal that diamond ring in the window. In that, in that. But I haven't done it. But that greediness thought is already in your mind. And if you keep on thinking about stealing and stealing and stealing, somehow at certain circumstances, that thought, that seed, the growing the seed inside, would sprout into a small little plan where the action and words are spoken, you may have expressed the energy. So everything of this is stored in your eight consciousness. So we have to be very careful with how we think. That's what the positive thinkers talk about. Whatever the mind can conceive, the mind will eventually do it. So what kind of mind you want to conceive? If you want to conceive a cruelty mind, you hunt. You kill animals just because of pleasure. You don't care about sufferings of other animals. That's not an, a thought of compassion. That's a thought of cruelty. However, if you have a, a thought of compassion, you always say, how can, I, how can I donate my money out to help others? How can I donate my energy be a volunteer to help others. How do I go across the border, as, as, as across the border doctor, to help underdeveloped countries, patients in underdeveloped countries? So now it all springs from a thought. All right, so these are the mental experience, mental experiences that we have. And we have to keep these mental experiences in, your, in our mind in order to practice meditation. Meditation is not just yoga, you know. Meditation is just not to improve your health. Meditation is to guide you to enlightenment where you are beyond death. You're not going in rebirth and birth anymore. It's beyond, I, I, I like that new product coming out. They call it Beyond Burger. You know, you know what you Beyond Burger? Burger is what you eat on, meat, but now they change the meat to plant. And they say beyond, that means when you're eating the Beyond Burger, you should think beyond eating. We have to eat to survive. The Buddha said, yes, but you have to go beyond survival, beyond existence. Right now we're existing. We're existing and we only have 100 years to exist. We have to go beyond 100 years. That's in the Buddhist teaching. 
to go beyond 100 years, beyond time. We say, I always think it would change beyond burger to beyond time. That would be better. Beyond time. So we need to put this framework in our mind. With this framework, framework in our mind, what would you be thinking of in your meditation? What would you be thinking of in your pursuit for enlightenment? in your pursuit for purity of mind. What are you thinking of? Just this. Just on this PowerPoint, you can think for many, many days. You can ponder on it. You can contemplate on it. You can introspect on it. How do we introspect on it? For example, let's take an example. I still have 15 minutes to go, so I can take as many examples as I want. How many? Looking at this, I think really if you have taken a, a picture of this, develop into a, a, a big picture and paste it to your wall and contemplate on this. Let's do a little more talking on this. Perception. In our daily lives, how do we use our perception? How do we use our eyes? We, we use our eyes to do many things. Some are wholesome things, some are unwholesome things. We use our eyes to read so that we can learn. We use our eyes to work so that we can, we can make money. We use our eyes in order to make a living. But other than using our eyes in the right rational way, what other ways do we use our eyes? We use our eyes to, to see the faults of others so that we can criticize them. We use our eyes to, to see pornography that we shouldn't be seeing. We use our eyes to see games that we can feel three hours on. We use our eyes to, I don't know, we use our eyes sometimes in the right way and sometimes in the wrong way. When we use our eyes, for example, if, if I use my eyes to... To, to see the opposite sex, and then all of a sudden I have a sensual, sensual urge in my mind, and then as this urge is cultivated and cultivated, and if I have a criminal attitude, I could perform like things like, I don't know, many, many, you know, illegal act, because you use our eyes in obsession of pursuit of sensual pleasures in the content of the game computer games. If it's not sex, it's violence. You want to KO the other guy. You want to shoot him. You want to chop him. What is, is, that, is, that, is that violence? You always want to win the other guy, shoot the other guy, kick the other guy. And other than that, what is in the games? You should tell, you should know. So what have you been using our eyes to? Sometimes in the right way, with the right perspective, sometimes in the wrong way. How about the ears? How do we use our ears? You should know. Sometimes in the right way, sometimes in the wrong way. Sound. How do we use our nose? Sometimes in the wrong way, sometimes in the right way. How do we use our tongue? 
Do we use our tongue in the wrong way? People say no. What do you mean by using my tongue in the wrong way? There's so many ways that you have been misusing your tongue. You have been using your tongue to tell t e l l to gossip, to lie. <laughs> Those are right ways. You have been using our tongue. We have been using our tongue to what? To eat the flesh and blood of animals, to slaughter them, pigs, ducks, chickens, and going through the taste buds at the at, at the expense of animals suffering from being slaughtered. You think it's the right way, but do you know how many chickens were killed every day? You know how they were killed in the mass assembly line, upside down, hooked up on a hook, blood dripping down. They can slaughter a chicken in five minutes. And how many chickens they will slaughter? Go and visit a chicken farm, a turkey farm. How did the turkeys get killed? I saw, I saw how turkeys were. Were killed in a farm many many years ago. They have someone holding an iron rod to hit the turkey until the turkey is dead, <laughs> and then they and then they do what they have to do. So there's so many ways we we use our perception sometimes in the right way and sometimes in the wrong way. And what's the percentage of right and percentage of wrong? What's karma? Some people use the perception; most of it is in wholesome karma. Some people use use it in unwholesome, using unwholesome karma. So don't blame that your destiny is not as good as the others. You created your own destiny because you created your own karma. What is karma? The energy you produce, expressed or potential. So, tongue, body, all this perception. Well, we've been using our sensory organs sometimes in the right way and sometimes in the wrong way. And how about cognition? Cognition is inside in the mind. The mind is sometimes rational and sometimes irrational. The ego is always there. We always have that ego. Store consciousness, good or bad, or store in that place. The store consciousness, the lie consciousness, is the actual consciousness. It's invisible. Consciousness is like energy. How can it be visible? But you know, when a body dies, the last that leaves the body is the energy of the eight consciousness. Your perception all died. Your eyes, your ears, your nose, your tongue, your body all died. Say if you live up to a hundred years, all died. And then your brain is not is no longer working anymore. There was no cognition anymore. You can't cognize anymore. When you are dead, how can you see? When you all, when you were dead for a long time, you, you, your body get decay. Your ego consciousness would immediately on a, on on the verge of death shrink into the eighth consciousness. The storage consciousness becomes one, and that alive consciousness would leave your body. And reincarnate into the next form. So we are changing form all the time, without changing, without eliminating the energy. Based on the conservation of energy, the energy never get disappeared. Energy only change form 
it will never disappear. That's proven by science. The Buddha talked about it 2,600 years ago. Our body, the energy that we, we create, actually we shouldn't use the word creation because energy is one constant there. It's never created, it's never destroyed. But the energy we've got to express, we carry that energy for many, many lifetimes. And we carry that energy to the next life too. What kind of energy? Is that the energy given by God? No. It's not given by God. You created that energy, not God. How can you say God wants you to kill? How can you say God wants you to lie? You created the energy yourself. And you have to be responsible for that energy. Hopefully, everybody creates good energy. Good cause will come to good effect. So your destiny is in your hands. We always say thoughts will give rise to words. Words give rise to thought. How can you think without words? And then words become a language spoken. And thoughts would drive... Thought would pushes you to speak and to act. The action in the speeches. When action in speeches are always done repeatedly, it becomes your habit. It becomes your habit, right? Your thoughts, your thought would drive your actions out. Your action and speeches are all repeated all the time, becomes your habit. And that habit is repeated all the time. It becomes your personality. That personality determines your destiny. Don't blame mom and dad for your poverty. Don't blame mom and dad for anything. You created your own personality. Your, your future, your destiny is in your own hands not in God's hands, in your own hands. So how do you want to change it? The Buddha said you can change it, understand it. It's just like how do you change, how do you overcome your depression? You first of all have to understand the nature of the depression, the characteristics of depression. Understand depression in a better way, fully understand depression. But understanding is not enough. Understanding is just understanding is not enough. You have to bring your understanding into practice. You have to learn how to overcome it, how to practice it, how to practice overcoming your depression. It's just it's the same thing. In order to, to practice it, you have to carry out into action. How do you do it? So given that, we can think about that, then we know what kind of actions that we should perform in order to, to practice the Buddhist teaching. Understand the Buddhist teaching and then carry that teaching into practice. Getting back to meditation, getting back to practice, how do we practice a meditation? We have to understand the nature of meditation the introspection part of it, the concepts. And then we have to carry out the stabilization and carry on with the introspection. So in other words, wisdom 
morality and meditation all go hand in hand together. One cannot go without the other. This is in more modern terms. We have the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, and the body. And we have this mind, we call it mano, which interact with all these perceptions that interact with externalities, which is the mind. And in, behind the mind, we have this ego, this self, that strongly control the mind. Why are we selfish? Why are we egoistic? Because that ego dominates the mono manager, the mind manager. And then all these is stored in the storage consciousness. You see all these seats? These are the seats. Seats means it's latent. It's not sprout into plants yet. So we have unwholesome emotions and unwholesome emotions all stored in there, in the alive consciousness. Nothing can go away. You can never go away with anything you have done. You have lied, you have hurt someone, you have bullied someone, you have done something wrong. You think it's all, nobody knows. You think nobody knows about it? You, get, you, don't, you, never, you stole something and you never got caught by the police. You think, I, I, I got away from it. No. You can get away from the police, but you cannot get away from your own consciousness. Your own consciousness. Store everything you have done, everything you have thought, everything you have spoken, just as the disk drive of a computer recorded everything, the programming, the data. It's a very good analogy. We're like a robot, for example. We're like a robot. Everything gets stored. You won't get away with it. But we want to be a good robot, though. A robot that is helpful. A robot, a robot that, is, that is giving wholesome emotions, not unwholesome ones. So all these get stored. Wholesome emotions. Emotions are not always negative, you know. Try to breathe, try to, try to uh, cultivate wholesome emotions. But you think wholesome emotion is the best, right? Don't you think that? The Buddha said wholesome emotions is better than unwholesome emotion. But emotion is an emotion. Emotion, ultimately, whether wholesome or unwholesome, we have to go beyond them. We have to go even beyond burger. Beyond wholesome emotions. If you have, think about it. The Buddha said if you have, if you enjoy the effects, the fruits of wholesome emotions, there is still a danger. Do you know why? There's still a danger. Why? Because if you have done all the, all the merits in this world, all the, you have carried out all the wholesome emotions. You know what happened to you in this life? You'll be happier, you'll be more healthy, you will be, you have all the merits in this world, but you still have to die, right? Who does not have to die? Raise your hand. Right? If you don't have to die, you won't die, raise your hands. If you know that you will die in the future, raise your hands. So how come you don't raise your hands, right? <laughs> you will die in the future, that's for sure. 
Are you not sure that you will die in the future? Youngsters, they will never think of death because they're too young to think of death. But you think that death is only for the aged guys, for the senior guys, right? No. Death is for every age. If you go to Ocean View and check out all these years of death and the birth date, you check that there are youngsters on the tombstone. They're youngsters. Not just for the, for, for the senior people. So what does that tell us? We really have to practice to go beyond burger, beyond living, beyond time. So getting back to unwholesome emotions will produce bad effects to you. That's for sure. You will suffer. All kinds of suffering come from come from unwholesome emotions. But how about wholesome emotions? Everybody said, oh, I have joy, I have faith, I have equanimity, I have, oh, I have no greediness, no hatred. I'm perfect. If you have almost no unwholesome emotions, you have all, emo all wholesome emotions, you will enjoy happiness in this life, or much happier than others. But when you die, what happened to you? You'll be born in heaven. Really, it's the same concept as many other religions. But heaven is not, is not the final place to go because you haven't cleared up your thesis. In other words, you haven't cleared up all the emotions when you go to heaven, you enjoy all happiness. You still have to come down to reincarnation. When you come down to reincarnation, that happened to you in most cases that you become a multi-billionaire, right? You'll be, you'll be born in a good family. But you know why people, some people, some babies were born in a rich family and some people, babies were born in a poor family? Is it because of, of, of God give them a chance to be poor? God give them a chance to be rich? No. It's, according to the Buddhist teaching, it's the karma that pull you to where you should be born. It depends on the effects, on the causes that you have cultivated. So assuming that you've done everything good, in your next life you'll be a multi-billionaire. Don't be jealous of multi-billionaires. They might have done something right. Not only in this life, in their previous lives too. We always talk about reincarnations. Imagine if you're a multimillionaire and you've done something right, you become, oh, you become one of the richest, the 10 most richest in the world. What happened? There will be a lot of friends coming to visit you. Girlfriends? <laughs> most of them are girlfriends. What do they want? They have different motives. They want your money. They want your reputation, your fame. And then you're mixed with people and these people will get into trouble. These people will get you into sexual misconduct. These people will get you into trying to multiply your money by, by false contracts, by illegal means, by things you shouldn't do, you shouldn't have done. Then you involve in bad karma again. 
unwholesome karma. In your next life, you won't be a multi-billionaire anymore because of what all the bad karma you have created in this life. Where would you go? You may go to the animal realms. There are six realms of reincarnation, or the ghost realm, or the hell realms. You go down victims of hell. So I've given you, time is up, I've given you uh, mental experiences. Think about mental experiences. If you have this mental experience framework in your mind, how would it help you? It helps you to think on every action, every thought. Be careful of every thought. Try to cultivate only good thought. Start from the thought. Try to be preventative. Prevent bad thought from arising. If a bad thought has already arisen, try to eliminate the bad thought before it's expressed into action. And other than that, foster good thought and maintain that good thought. So you have prevention, elimination, cultivation, and maintenance. You can even apply this four perspectives to anything you do in your career, in your job. In your job, preventing yourself from being lazy, preventing yourself from being selfish, preventing yourself from having bad relationship with your colleagues, preventative measures. If you already have already done something wrong, eliminate a bad relationship by doing something, something good. And then try to cultivate good relationship with your colleagues, with your job, your job relationships. Do a good job in cultivating of energy, cultivating of diligence, wisdom. And how about maintenance? Maintain that wisdom level. Maintain that diligence level. Maintain the productivity level. Maintain a good human relationship. So that actually applies to everything. The Buddhist teaching is applicable to daily life. Not just about offering flowers and incense and prostrations, not just that. It's only for the beginners who haven't had that faith. They need the flowers to build up the faith, the incense. It does not mean that you don't need flowers anymore, but what I'm saying is you go a higher, a higher and higher level. The wisdom of the Buddha it's unfathomable. It's even deeper than the sea. You cannot fathom the bottom of the sea.